How many of you are glad that the Lord is the Hosanna in the highest? Save us, Lord, we pray. Sometimes you need to yell that, Hosanna. It means save us, we pray. That ain't just saving you in the sense of salvation. Sometimes you may get in something, you may need to yell Hosanna. Amen. Yell Hosanna to the living God. We thank God for his mercy. How many of you are glad for his mercy? Bible says in Romans 10, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall not be disappointed. <laughs> That's a good word. Um, that we don't, when we call on his name, he's mighty to answer. And so we honor him and bless him for his saving power, that he is our God and that he's the God who is the high God who's committed to us. Amen. Amen. Just a few things um, before we dive into the text. Um, just a couple of things I'd like to um, just press you in on, to focus on. Uh, we want you to remember our summer program, our, our four-week program. This year that we're running four weeks, eventually we want to get to uh, six to eight weeks, but this, week we're gonna, this year we're going to do four weeks. And so um, for those of you uh, who are able and willing, and even not willing, but willing to make a sacrifice uh, to help sponsor a child, whether it's for one week or for all four weeks, it's about $200 to sponsor a child. Now, we want people, even, if, even in their challenges, because uh, we live in a neighborhood where uh, most of the people who actually live here year-round, the average income is $15,000 per household. Um, and so we want to be able to come, not look down on that, but come alongside of that. So we will have them pay something, whether it's a penny to $100 or whatever they can pay, but we want to also scholarship kids, because we don't want, uh, based on our max amount of young people that we want to be in the program, we want to make sure, by God's grace, that everyone is able to get in that. So if you're willing to sponsor a child, please, by God's grace, will you open up your resources and do that. And then secondly, um, not in importance, but secondly, uh, church planting and global missions fund. Um, one of the things we, we want to keep on doing is giving to mission. And so in giving to mission uh, locally, nationally, and internationally uh, with church planting, that's our focus. And so uh, one of the things we want to do is make sure we have that this year we're looking at 90 to $125,000 that we'll give away uh, to, in, well, not give away, but invest, that's a little different, to invest uh, into ministry. And uh, uh, over the last seven years, we will have given $625,000 away, amen? And so, and so we wanna keep on investing that. How many of you believe in that vision? Let me just ask that question, because sometimes I wonder. By show of hands, how many of y'all believe in the mission of us doing ministry globally and the investment that goes into that. Any, anyone, church planning, all of that stuff. To see lives change through the gospel of Jesus Christ. By show of hands, I'm just asking, just so I can make sure. Okay, 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 most of y'all. A lot of y'all didn't have your hand up, it's okay. We won't judge you. But um, we're committed to that and committed to those opportunities for God to be able to really do that and, and, and be able to do that, and that comes through your giving. So we can give sacrificially to that. We try to give between 10 to 20% of what comes in from you guys to that, but then we also try to stack on above that so that we can send church planters out with resources and resource those who are on our uh, missions program over in Malawi, Africa. So remember, Sunday after next, like 1 Corinthians 16 says, set aside something. Next Sunday, on the 3rd, we're having our 
financial review. That financial review is more visionary in its, sta- in its standpoint. It's not just for you to see where the money goes only. It's for you to celebrate where the money goes. Yeah. And, and, that, and that means you get to come in and you begin to look at, man, this is what's happening. We're going to give reports. And then I'm going to be casting more vision, casting more vision about what I'm dreaming about, what we're dreaming about, what I want us to join together in dreaming about. Because this is not my church. This is Christ's church. Yeah. Amen. And so, and so I just happen to lead it. And so, and so with, with that in mind, um, I want us to join together to be on the same page. The Bible says, be of the same mind. Somebody say, be of the same mind. And so because of that reality of us being called to be of the same mind, vision is what helps us to know why we're here. We don't ever want you to lack clarity on why God placed us here and what you're actually involved in. And, 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 so, and so all of that is what we want to lay out. And we're excited about the reports that are coming in and all the great things that the great God is up to so that we can see lives changed and transformed. Also, I want to announce something that's very exciting. This week, my wife will be turning 44 years old. Amen. 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 And so I'm, exci- I'm excited for her, and I'm excited for all that the great and mighty God has done in her life and brought her thus far. I remember they told her she would not live, but she's still sitting here right before us, and I thank the good God that she's still with us. Amen. 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 I felt week before last my little girl kicked for the first time. And so that did something to me, man. I, I'm already messed up, y'all. Y'all got to pray for me. I'm, I'm messed up, man, for life. Um, the boys kicked. I was like, oh, that's nice. And she kicked. I was like, wow. You know, so like, like it's the first time. It's like my wife's been pregnant for the first time. So I'm thankful to the great God for his mercy. Let's stand up. Um, we're having our yearly checkup this year in 2 Corinthians. Peter, chapter 1, our yearly checkup passage that we do. I love to get in this passage. As a pastor, one of the things that I like to do, I know we go through a lot of, lot of scripture, uh, yet sometimes you need strengthening. Somebody say strengthening. And what I want to do is every year or two, I preach this passage over and over and over again because, because I want Christ to be formed in you. Somebody should say amen right there. Amen. How many of you want Christ to be formed in you? And so this passage to me um, is a tool that I want to equip the body with based on Ephesians 4 for you to grab a hold of this passage and utilize it as a content, not a reminder, because sometimes when you guys say reminder, it really means I already know that. But that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, that, that was a good to be re- like when somebody come to me after this, that was a good reminder today. It was like, well, but you wasn't doing it. So like, so what, I, what I'm talking about is, when I, you know what I'm saying? So I'm talking about taking hold of more deeply what you don't know that you think you know, but you really don't know because it's not in you. And so what we want to do is I want you to grab, somebody say grab. grab. And I want us to grab what God has for us in our growth in him so that we can be more rooted and grounded and have a beautiful trajectory in Jesus. So let's, let's read together as we get in here. Let's go. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep going. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the
Amen. Amen. For our time today, I want to emphasize through this title to you as I give it to you. I want us to talk about today the anatomy of spiritual renewal. The anatomy of spiritual renewal. Let's, let's go before the king. Um, Lord, us looking like you is a serious thing. Us representing you is a serious thing. Us knowing you is a serious thing. Us walking with you is a serious thing. Us drawing close to you is a serious thing. And I'm praying today that you would break through with this passage yet again to mark our journey with you. To mark our journey with you in a sense of in-depth commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to take you seriously, and to embrace the faith on a deeper level. Lord God, I'm praying today that we would not talk about what we know, and this is a reminder, but God, help us to, be, to see your word afresh and see our blind spots, yet to see you more clearly and to place our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. And God, we, we believe you and we believe that you're going to grow us. We believe and we're encouraged that you're going to strengthen us. We believe and encourage that you are going to take us to what is biblically a next level, what is biblically our purpose, what is biblically the ideal dream, the ideal vision for our lives. And may nothing in our life take weight over these weighty things. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer in whom we trust and help us not to just be hearers of the word deceiving ourselves, but help us to be doers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. One of the things that um, I'm passionate about is giving an account for your soul. Um, and in giving an account for your soul, one of the ways in which the Bible teaches that a leader, a pastor, a shepherd, an elder, gives account for the souls of the people under their charge is that the whole counsel of God has been preached. And in the whole counsel of God being preached, Paul even said, your blood is not on my hands. And, and, and what I want to do is to push you. Somebody say push. push. I, I want to I push you as your pastor to grow. Um, I, I, I want you to be, as I want to be, committed to looking like Jesus in every single area of my life. No matter where you find yourself and no matter where you are, there is a necessity to take hearty effort to looking at your spiritual life and seeing exactly where it is and where it's not so that you can look into and peer into the face of Christ and peer into the scriptures and to peer into your soul so that you may see the commitment that you have and the need to have to growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on this year, I have a book coming out called Unleashed and that book is about sanctification. And one of the things that I've been convinced about that really pushed me to write the book 
is, 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 is the passion to help God's people to be equipped to grab a hold of the life that Christ has given them. Um, and, and helping them grab a hold of it, that is seeing the mechanisms that God has created to grow you. You don't grow yourself. The Spirit of God grows you. Let me just tell you that. You don't grow yourself spiritually. The same way you didn't save yourself is the same way you don't sanctify yourself. The, 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 the issue with that, though, is, is that God will not grow you spiritually unless you connect to the mechanisms that he utilizes to grow you. If you don't connect with him in prayer, if you don't connect with the word of God, if you don't get in biblical community, as a single person, if you don't walk in self-control, if you're, not, if you're in a marriage and you don't allow the challenges that you go through in your marriage to make you look at you instead of your spouse, you will not grow spiritually. If you go through a trial and you just ask why, you won't grow. But if you ask, what are you doing in me? You will go. You, you, you want to be connected to every single sphere and thing that God has created, everything in your life, like I always say, has been rigged for you to look like Jesus. And the question is, do we have the awareness as God's people to recognize those mechanisms? Do we have the awareness that our life is more than just our personal dreams and our personal preferences? Yes, I want you to dream. Yes, I want you to envision. Yes, I want, but I want in the anatomy of your vision to include where you are in your growth pattern. It's very important that you just don't think about what you're going to be when you grow up or what type of career <clears throat> you're going to have or what type of person you're going to marry or all of these, all of those different things. All those things are good, but they're not good with an immature believer. And so what has to happen is you as a believer have to own your growth. And so in this passage, this powerful, powerful passage that I tend to look at regularly to challenge myself in where am I in these areas Peter does a great job of laying out for us um, some, 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 some principles <clears throat> to, to, to sort of help us to be rooted in the gospel of what Christ has done for us and the identity that he's given us and how we practically walk that out in our everyday life. And as we walk our everyday life, we pick up this rubric, if you will, as a mechanism to say where I am with the Lord. And so Peter being a little bit older now, he's writing his last, second and last letter uh, to the church in Asia Minor. And he's writing to them because they're new believers. And one of the things that he wants them to know and one of the things he wants them to understand and what he wants them to connect to is something important, spiritual growth. And so he goes through and he almost gives this idea of, in 1 Peter, I talked about what happened to the church. Now I want to talk about what happens in you as the church. And so he comes here, to, and I'm just going to walk this text. And I, those of you who want to take notes, you can take notes. I, I, I suggest you take notes today. If you don't normally take notes, I'm deeply suggesting you take notes. This is going to be preachy, but it's also going to be teachy as well. And so we see right here in verse 1, we see a powerful transformative reality. Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. <laughs> this reminds me so much of this. It, it, this is so beautiful because this reminds me of back in the day during Peter's time with Jesus while Jesus was on earth, where the apostles were walking behind Jesus and an argument arose among them. 
And that argument that arose among them was which one was going to be the greatest. And so Thaddeus and Bartholomew and, 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 and John and John and Judas, not Iscariot, and Iscariot and Peter, all of them began having an argument. And the argument was about who was going to be the flyest apostle when Jesus comes in his glory. And so, and so they go getting into argumentations, and, and they, they said, man, when Jesus, I'm going to be the fly. Man, I'm telling you, my robe, I'm going to tell you the way mine going to look. I'm going to pick my color. I'm going to be chilling next to Jesus Christ. People are going to be all around the throne. I'm going to be chilling, looking like this. And one was going at it, this was going at it, this was going at it. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus stopped. And then Jesus turns around and walks into the midst of them. And he said, what y'all talking about? And he said, I don't know. That was them, Jesus. I'm just counting the money. You know what I'm saying? I'm just counting the loot. You know, they, they on some other stuff, Jesus. And Jesus, like, and Jesus says, y'all are arguing about who would be the greatest. And he said, God's kingdom is different than man's kingdom. He said, because the greatest among you will become the servant of all of you. In, in, in other words, I think Petros got the lesson here, family. Because before he calls himself an apostle, he calls himself a servant. He, say, he says, Simon Peter, a servant. It's interesting that it took that many years for Peter to learn servitude. Over and over and over again, Peter had to put his foot in the mouth over and over and over again. In chapter 10 of Acts, he puts his foot in his mouth when God tells him to rise, kill, and eat. He said, man, I ain't doing none of that. And it was about serving the Gentiles, but he was still about his Jewish flyness. Then over in Galatians chapter 2, uh, he's eating ribs with the believers. Man, he eating rotisserie. Uh, he eating uh, pork belly and pancetta on his salad and his kale. And he's enjoying himself. Then, then his man uh, uh, Barnabas and them come down and, and, and he backs up from the table and wipes the barbecue sauce from his mouth uh, because he wants to look more like an apostle than he did a servant. Paul, noticing it, gets in his grill like a real man does and say, you're not standing up straight up about the gospel. My man had to repent of his sin. And so over and over and over, he had to learn the lesson of what it means to be a servant above what it means to be an apostle. And guess what? You're going to have to have some lessons that God has been teaching you for a long time too. Some of you guys are too down on yourself. If it takes an apostle to his old age to finally call himself a servant first before an apostle, there's hope for you. <laughs> Listen, God is at work in you, and some of that stuff is slow progress. But the issue is it has to be progress, not just staying in a mess. And so, and so, and so that, that's what's encouraging about being a believer is God sets up your life for it to grow. So he says, Simon Peter, a servant, and then he goes down and he says some theology for us. How many of you know you need theology? He, he lays out a biblical foundation for growth. And wh where does he get it from? He says, to those, he said, this is who I'm talking to. <coughs> he says, I'm talking to those who, has, uh, who have obtained a faith, a faith, of equal standing with ours, who got faith in Christ alone for salvation and his resurrection. He says, by the righteousness, he said, the imputation of Christ's righteousness gives us salvation. He says, so, so, so he says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, there he is, calling Jesus Christ God, clearly. He says, may grace and peace, may charis and arene, may God's unmerited favor 
And may God's peace, that is his arena, God's commitment to restitching your life back to his divine design based on the work of the blood of Christ in your life so that you can be the best for his glory. That's what Irene means. He said, I want this to be multiplied to you. I want favor and stitches of the soul. You being reconnected back to God piece by piece. You're positionally reconnected. But now what God does in process is he processes in reconnecting you practically in every single area of your life. You missed your shouting moment right there because what I'm excited about, I'm excited about the fact that God in my life is daily renewing me and every day that he renews me, I'm being reconnected to something in him that I was before disconnected from. In other words, the, the work of God in me is always reconnecting me based on his arena to reconnect me functionally back to his original design with an upgrade. <clears throat> and so... He goes and says, be multiplied to you. How, though? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. So now look what he says. He says, his divine power has given us or granted to us all things. Somebody say all things. All things things that pertain to life and godliness. I love this. In other words, what God is, what Paul is, what Peter is saying, rather, it's Peter is saying that you have everything you need. You didn't hear that. See, y'all missed that. When you trust Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, you have everything you need. Let, let me see if I can make it plain. When, when, I, when I got my iPhone, um, I was excited about getting, you know, the new iPhone, all that, and I got it, and boom, 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 all the stuff, you know, a little operating system on it. But, but what happened is, is... When they put out the little operating system, the operating system keeps needing an upgrade because they keep finding glitches in it. And so they keep having to send upgrades to problems that they're finding out about the operating system. Well, well, when God saved you, he gave you an operating system that doesn't ever need upgrading. (laughs) When he he gave you everything you need, (coughs) in your soul is an operating, is heaven's operating system for you to operate based on the way God wants you to live in light of his power. Now he says, he's given us all things. Somebody say all things. That means there is no new anointing falling from heaven for you. There ain't no anointing coming. It's all, it's, it's in you. The Bible says in second, uh, first John chapter two, verse 20, you already have the anointing that is already in you. So the operating system is in you. So when it gets thick and the Holy Ghost is in the gathering in a particular way, God is not falling in the place. He's already in the place. You're just recognizing that he's there by, your, by, by, by the operating system beefing up and saying, did you know he was here and your body responds to that by worshiping him? Some of y'all get that on the way home. And so, and so what, 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 he said, what he says, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Now, this is beautiful. <laughs> this shows me something deep. Now, life here, life here points to not just natural life, but spiritual life. And what it's pointing to is that when you get saved is when eternal life begins, not when you die. When you die, your spirit doesn't. It's just being transcendent to another place. Your body dies. So, 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 so you, when you get saved and God takes you from spiritual death to spiritual life, you have eternal life. So therefore, life eternal is supposed to live in mess temporal. 
So, so, so when he says he's giving you everything you need, that means you are fully equipped with everything that you need in order to be all God wants you to be. However, it's in its infant state and you have to connect with it through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can grow and be all that God wants you to be, not just for a purpose, not just for a season of yours, but because the reason why he brought you in a relationship with him is to look like him. And so he says godliness, which I'll pick that up back down when we get down in about verse five or six. But he says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness to live here and to live in light of his eternal realities. But it says through the true knowledge, the epigonosco of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The word uh, 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 there for knowledge is epigonosco, which means or gnosis, which means a knowledge that comes from a relationship. In other words, it's not knowledge separate from a relationship. It comes out of a relationship. I love that. I love that. In other words, in other words, it's not knowledge that is just imputation of intellectual faculties, but it uses the intellectual faculties to touch the heart so that they are both affections and intellect that's connecting in how you walk with the Lord. So, so, so now, so now, so now, he says, according to the true knowledge of him who called us, into by for his glory and excellence. Now, I like the New American Standard translation here. It says for. Somebody say for. for. So that means that God, when he saved you, didn't save you because of you. <laughs> in other words, he wasn't looking at and imagining like you were going to be the bomb for him. That wasn't why he saved you. What this is saying literally is that God was looking at himself and saved you. Let me see if I can make this plain. <laughs> in, 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 in other words, he, his glory is the weight of who he is. Help me today, God. In, in another, it's the, it, it, literally, in the Old Testament, glory meant to be heavy. And so God looked at the weight of the sum total of his attributes and then wanted to save you. Okay, let me, let me see if I can make it God, 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 if God could step out of himself, but he can't step out of himself because everywhere he steps is still himself. But for the sake of anthropomorphic argument, let's say he could step out of himself and look at himself. God steps out of himself and he just walks around himself. He's like, man, I, I just can't. I mean, you've never been created. I mean, you don't work out. You, you just fine from everlasting to everlasting. I'm just a good looking dude. You know what I'm saying? I mean, no matter what direction you go, the beauty and majestic glory of my excellence is there. No matter where you go, my grace is there. No matter where you go, my justice is there. No matter where you go, my peace is there. No matter where you go, my life is there. No matter where you go, my omnipotence. Everywhere you go, man, it's us. One, two, three, one person, uh, one or uh, three persons, one, uh, uh, one, one entity, God. And he looks at himself and in response to how fly he is, he says, God the Father says, son and spirit, I got an idea. He's, Jesus says, what's up, pops? He says, man, you know what? I, I think we should create some people. Because we just, we enjoy each other, don't we? Oh, we, I mean, this has been the bomb for eternity. It's been the bomb. And so Holy Spirit's like, I, I just love this, man. Let's create some human beings who don't, they're not us. Because can't nobody be us. He's like, you got that right. He gave me a high five. You got that right. And, um, and he said, but we're going to create human beings that are going to enjoy 
what we've been enjoying with each other without being us. But we're so fine, we got to let somebody in on all of this fineness. And so God made us in response to the glorious majesty of looking at himself as your flyness. That, that, that's just good. And so, and, so, and so he called us in response to himself. And in calling us in response to himself, when he looks at us, guess what he wants to see? And so in that idea and in that reality, man, <coughs> you and I are set up by Christ to look like that's what Jesus' high priestly prayer was about that we would enjoy the glory that they were experiencing with each other for eternity because of his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. Now, it says he's called us by, into by for his own glory and excellence. I like this. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. I like that. In other words, we get to experience the promises of the living God on every single level of our lives. So that, why? Through them, what? His promises, listen, you, uh, you may become partakers. Somebody say partakers. partakers. Partakers of the divine nature. Now, what is that word there for partakers? Is the word that, 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 that translates itself a, cor- a koinonia, uh, which means community, fellowship. And so one of his precious and magnificent promises is that he would renew us so that we can withstand his presence and enjoy his presence without the retribution of his wrath. All of this is foundational stuff. I'm just letting you know, you can get in God. That's why you can sin and God don't kill you right now as a believer. Because Christ's blood is a promise that was given to you through Jeremiah and Ezekiel so that when his blood is on you, God doesn't kill you because he sees the blood even though you still sin. And he'll still fellowship with you because of what Christ has done for him, not what you've done for him. Even what you do for God isn't good enough to earn God's love. It still takes the fullness of, even when you think you're doing real good, you're still a mess. So therefore, it takes what God has done for you for him to still be with you. Help me today, God. So, so, so he goes and he says, he says, he says, become a partake of the divine nature. The divine nature is God's, God's nature of himself. We become partakers by communing with God. That's beautiful. One of our core values is community. But the greatest interaction that we get to experience is we commune with God. The Bible says how much peace we often forfeit. Why? Because we don't commune with him. But positionally, we've been given community relationship with him where you can talk to him wherever you are. You don't have to wait till you get in a special place. You don't have to wait till you light a candle. You don't have to wait till the incense is on. You don't have to wait till you get in some building that looks like a relic. You don't have to, you can be wherever you wanna be and you can talk to your God because you are a partaker of the divine nature and therefore you can commune with him at any point in the day. The cell coverage is never blocked. The cell phone is never off. He doesn't send you the voicemail. He's always available. Always available. I love that. So we get to be partakers. You, 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 you get to talk. Listen, do you understand? You get to talk to God. Like, I want you to pause. Like, like I remember this celebrity walking down. I was trying to holler, you know, say, yo, yo, yo. He said, like, you know, boom. 
And you know, you know, I don't like that. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't like that. But um, that celebrity, see, celebrity is man creating a system <clears throat> that places value based on the system. And we're duped into wanting a selfie with a celebrity that celebrity is only based on a fallen system. But you and I have a relationship with the living God where we don't have to beg him to selfie with us. We don't have to beg him to chill with us. We have become partakers of the one who created everything. I don't know about you, but you're sitting here looking at me funny, but I'm just trying to let you know you should be rocked by the fact that the superstar of the universe has built a relationship with you through the bridge of the cross and you get to, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Listen, help me today. Don't ever get used to that. Don't ever get used to the fact you get to talk to God. You know what I mean? You get, to, you get to just talk to him. Like Right now, God, in the name of Jesus, he's listening. God, I love you. He's listening. See, see, right there. But you don't even have to look up because he's here. And in here. Oh, help me today, God. So let me keep moving. I got to move past this. I got to move past this. He says, he says, having escaped. I love that language, that language, the corruption, the corruption that's in the world by sinful desire. That means that now that you know Christ, you don't have to sin. Wow. Your will has been taken out of bondage. Before you got saved, your will was in bondage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you were dead and your trespasses and sins and you had to sin. Now... Your will has been taken out of bondage so you can choose whether or not you want to sin or not. But you couldn't choose. Now because of Christ, you get to make a decision. And the more you grow in Christ, the better decisions you make. (laughs) Where do I get that from? Hebrews chapter 5, 13, it says those who are mature have their senses strained being able to tell the difference between good and evil. The more you grow, you see evil, you say, nah, that's whack. I like it. It looks good. It looks good. You see, growing spiritually doesn't mean that you don't want to sin no more. It just means you've grown enough to know how stupid that is. (laughs) See what I'm saying? The more you grow, the more you grow, you just just see that, that was dumb. I, I, I remember the time I was on the side of the bed afterwards and the Holy Ghost was tearing me up. I don't want that feeling again because I'd rather have cry because I'm in his presence versus he's tearing me up in his presence. So because, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I got drunk and I'll spit up for two days. You know what, how about I not do that again because the Holy Ghost already tore me up about that. So how about I go get high and smoke me some Holy Ghost? How about that? And so what I'm, all I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to let you know, the more and more you grow, the more and more you grow, you just see that was stupid. Why am I going to get myself emotionally attached to a person I know I'm not going to marry? All I'm doing is going out. God. Now, in other words, when you, when you grow, you, you start saying, man, I want to make some better decisions. Why am I going to spend my whole check? Uh-oh. You see what I'm saying? In other words, in other words, the more you grow, you see the stupidity of sin. 
and you see the greatness of the, of the majesty of walking with God. Let me keep moving. Ah, got ground to cover. We got to cover this ground. Are y'all okay? Let's go. Um, it says, for this very reason. Now, we built the foundation. <clears throat> Peter has helped us to build a good theological foundation for everything he's going to say practically. Always when God tells us to do something, it's always re- rooted in something rich, right? So he says, for this very reason, what very reason? That we have expressed magnificent promises, that he called us according to his own glory and excellence, and that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And he says, for, this ver- for all of that, what I want you to do is I want in your faith, supplement. I like that. I like this. Some translations say supply. Okay. Now, 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 now the word supply or supplement means to furnish. It means it, it, the idea of it is it's, 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 it's modifying faith. So since it's modifying faith, we're supposed to furnish our faith with something to show that our faith in Christ is authentic. Okay. You can't just say, I have faith. It has to be furnished with the items that authentically authenticates that the faith is authentic faith. In other words, if somebody say they live in an apartment or a house and you go in there and there's nothing in there, you're going to ask him who lives here. You're going to say nobody because there's nothing in there. In other words, you live here? Yeah. When? Where? Like where? You're not going to believe them because nothing's in there. Well, your faith can't be like an empty home. When someone comes to inspect your faith, it's nothing in there. See, in your faith, he says, these are the things that you supply. Now, what's funny is Peter says supply, but to be honest, God has already given the things to you based on verse 3. So all you're doing is taking what he has supplied and supply it. So, 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 so now the thing about our sanctification is even though the spirit grows us, we have to take initiative to take hold of life. So look what he says. He says, in your, in your faith, <coughs> simplify in your faith, virtue. Uh, some translations say moral excellence. Virtue means the ability to be committed to a standard. Just the ability to be committed to a standard. Let me see if I can make it real plain here. Um, it was a car that I wanted. Um, this is back in the day, so I'm going to date myself a little bit. Um, you, you, some of y'all don't even know what candy apple red is, man. With the little burgundy, with the little speckles in it. Look like a bowling ball. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Um, the, 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 the fur seat and the fur little thing on the um, steering wheel. You know what I'm saying? The dice in the mirror, the big old Johns. You know what I'm saying? Then the air freshener that you hang on it, hang around it like this and let it hang down. And as this part dissipates, you got to pull it down more so more of the aromatic nature of the ministry can come out. Right? So this is this car. I want it. Joan was nice. I was going to black out tent the windows, smoke tent them joints. Then what I wanted is I wanted the subwoofer in the back so that when I was three miles away, all you heard was, they said, E coming. I can't hear nothing. Be like, huh? What'd you say? Can't hear nothing. Ear, eardrums gone at 16 years old. But, um, <laughs> but the mechanic went to look at the car. And he's like, man, this is nice. You know, I said, yeah, man, I'm about to, I'm about to wreck shop. He's like, all right. He pulled the hood up. He said, did you look under the hood? I said, nah, man. 
I just like the calm, man. Just tell me what's good. He says, oh, man. I was like, what? I said, man, this ain't going nowhere. I said, what you mean, man? All this looking niceness. He said, man, you can't base the value of a car and what it's able to do based on what you see with your eyes. You got to open up the hood and see the mechanics that's inside of it because you don't know what you're getting yourself into if you just only look on the outside. Somebody going to get it in a second. See, when you, when, you, when you have moral excellence and you're committed to a standard, you don't just look at what's on the outside of something. You don't just look at a person's body. You don't just look at a situation. You don't just look at a place. What you begin to do is you begin to look beyond what's on the outside because being committed to a standard means it has to be bigger than what looks nice. See, that's how you know you're growing. You know you're growing when you like something on the outside, but you want to know for real, for real, what's going on with it. Because when you stop just making impulse decisions, then you say, oh, I see this look nice, but what's on the inside of it? (coughs) Now, what he says (coughs) is he says something powerful. He says, in your virtue, add to your virtue knowledge. Now, having a commitment to a standard without the Bible informing the standard will make you being committed to the wrong things. Yes. See, because some of us use our growth to be committed, but we're committed to the wrong things. That's why you need the Bible to inform what you're supposed to be committed to and not committed to. Therefore, you add to your, 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 your moral excellence or virtue knowledge that is biblical knowledge. So that means in your life, how are you getting in scriptures so every, I want you to look at the thing. I want you to grab one thing in your mind that you're committed to. One thing. And then I want you to ask yourself, how is this thing informed by the word of God? Is my, is my, is my commitment to this person, place, or thing rooted in God's word and his mindset? And so that's very, very important for us to recognize and this is not a nitpicky, but one of the things that we have to begin to do as believers is we really have to be saturated in the word of God. Yeah. And in being saturated in the word, you can't grow in what you don't know. It's impossible. Like, like, like I, I, know, I believe in the laying on the hands, but you can come to the front and I can put my hand on your head and you can fall back and get up and still sin. Somebody, I, need, I need self-control. I need, to, I need to stop doing this. Put their hands on you, fall out. And they say, God's ministering to them. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. Where's that in the Bible? They got to lay hands, somebody lay hands, and they out, and they just out, and then they get up and they change because something osmotically happened. Bible says knowledge is what, draw, is what gives you clarity. You don't, you, don't make, you don't make godly decisions by being slain in the spirit. See, the, all that laying on, some of that laying, I, I believe in laying on the hands for a purpose. But, but, but laying on the hands doesn't, doesn't sanctify you. It doesn't. It just doesn't. That's the dumbest thing on the planet. I wish Christians would think. Y'all let anything, do, y'all let anybody do any old thing to you because you, you cried and you felt something. You, God met me. You know he didn't. No, he didn't. 
How can you say that? Because the Bible don't say nothing about that. The only time somebody got slain is when Jesus said, they said, who do you see? Hundred people. Hundred people. Say, who do you see? Jesus says, I am he. The Bible says the dudes fell, a hundred people fell back. Now, that's a different situation. <laughs> I mean, it was almost like Jesus was like, I'm going to just give you a little peek. Because I'm going to let y'all get me, but I'm going to let you know that I'm letting you get me. Pow! Hit him like that. Jesus hit him like that. You know what I'm saying? Hit him, open up his skin real quick. And pow! Cats fell back. Then Jesus asked him again, who do you see? I like that. Read it, it's in the Bible. Um, and, so, and so that's the only time we see that. But it's not called slain in the spirit. It's called being scared. Um, so, um, so, 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 so he says, so he says, in your, in your virtue, as your virtue, self, uh, 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 knowledge, and he said, your knowledge is self-control. I like this. Self-control is powerful, family, because self-control is the ability to restrain your emotions and impulses. <laughs> in other words, some of, some of us just do stuff. And we know we call it a free spirit. You put a little flower in your hair or you put, or you, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or you wear some tabby boots like some ninjas or something and you walk around and you like incense and smoking on a hookah. You know what I'm saying? Not a hooker, a hookah. Ask your younger people after the gathering. But and, and, and so, and so I'm, a, I'm a free spirit. And so what that means is I have no structure. I don't submit to any rubric. I just let my passions go wherever they flow. And when you get saved, God gives you the ability to control where your passions go. That, that means, that means so self-control is not really about what you can't do. Most of us think of self-control as restraint only. But self-control is Christ freeing you to enjoy him without regret. I'm about to preach. I'm about to say amen. I'm about to say amen. That means, that means, that means you get to enjoy what God has created without feeling bad about it. That means, that means, that means you can unleash your passions in great places. You can have a great dating relationship if the goal is marriage. You, and you set some parameters. You are fine. That's what I told my wife. I said, girl, you're fine. And I said, you know what? Because you're fine, I can't slob you down. Because every time I slob you down, every, every, some situations want to happen. And in order to honor you, like we struggle. You know what I'm saying? We struggle with touching. With, I was like, ha, huh, help me, God. We just, I was like, I need some accountability. So what I use my passion to do is I said, I love you enough to store up what I'm feeling for you now for later. And guess what? <coughs> that made the relationship better. Now, some of y'all, now see, I know y'all. See, y'all can handle slob downage. You can handle embraces. You know what I'm saying? Soon as situations touch the follicles of my skin, I'm losing it. So I knew for me, now I know that ain't true for y'all because y'all Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, and y'all don't deal with nothing. But for me, I had to, I had to put on, I, listen, I couldn't be around my friends that were smoking the endo, right. sipping on gin and juice. I couldn't do it. 
you know, I wasn't going to get a contact, because, but, I was, I, but I wanted contact. So I knew for me that I wanted to put my, 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 my faculties elsewhere. I remember when I stopped getting drunk all the time. And I went to the beach and I, saw, I was able to enjoy. I didn't know, like in the world, you just feel like you got to turn up to enjoy. Hashtag, we, hashtag turn up. Hashtag we about to get it. Hashtag it's about to be on. Hashtag you should have been there. Hashtag we about to wild out. Hashtag you don't know what I... Hashtag turn down for what? Like, but, but, but let me tell you something about being a Christian. Being a Christian is about enjoying the Lord without regret. And so self-control, family, is just putting a leash on it. You can't put the little leather little leash on it. You got to go to Home Depot ministry. Get the link chain. Because your passion is a pit bull. You know what I'm saying? And you got to put a piece of steel around his neck to hold him off and yank him off. And when, when you're in the right place, you just let him go and say, enjoy yourself. You know what I'm saying? Self-control. So in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control... Steadfastness. Steadfastness means fortitude in the midst of mess. In other words, consistency in the midst of adversity. It means that life doesn't stop because I'm going through a trial. In other words, God has given you the ability to flourish in the midst of pain. You should have shouted like a mug on that part. <clears throat> that means no matter what you go through, it's too much for you to be able to be faithful to God in the midst of it. No matter what you're going through, God has given you the strength through Christ to be able to pray, to get in his word, to gather with us. Some of us, I ain't going to church today. Why? You need to go the way you feel it. I ain't going to work. I'm calling in sick. I, I ain't physically sick, but technically, I'm like, no, nah, do what's normal to do until God changes it. Steadfastness is getting up, praying yourself out of bed, brushing your teeth, showering while talking to the Lord, eat something. Unless you're fasting, you may need to. Put on some clothes, get on the sub, go get, your, to go get a three-pack or crayons pass or whatever, and pray on the train, talk to the, but get up and don't let what you're going through stop you because God has given you the ability while you're in the trial to be flourishing and to honor him and to glorify him. And don't think of your life as mundane. If you're still breathing, there's purpose on your life. If you're still breathing, God's still with you. If you're still breathing, God is at work in you. Steadfastness. You're able, you're able. You, God may not take it out, take you out, but he keep you while you're in it. Then he says, godliness. That means the pictorial is coming. You're looking like Jesus. Then he says, from that to brotherly kindness, getting with other believers. Then love, loving the world in the sense of lost people. So what happens is as you're growing spiritually, 
God gets you to engage people in the body of Christ and beyond the body of Christ. And he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you will render yourself, you will never be unaffected and unfruitful. That means that you can be fruitful when you go through mess. You can go through a drought and still be fruitful. If you, listen, you, that, see, that's the beauty about being a Christian. Seasons don't matter. Like somebody telling you you're going to be in another season, that's you being sucked into getting your ears tickled that things are going to get better inside of you because God changes your circumstances. But that's not how the faith works. The faith works for you to still be in your circumstance and God take care of you and grow you and do some stuff. And then when he takes you out, you look back and say, I can't believe I made it. I can't believe I look this good. I can't believe he did all that. Man, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all, you know what? I should have been dead. I should have committed suicide. I should have been inducted. I should have lost my mind. I should have drove off the road. I should have, but God was so good to me that he kept me in my right mind. He kept me walking with him. He kept me loving him. He kept me looking at him. He kept me in my Bible. He kept me praying. He kept me in church. He kept me before his presence. See, 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 that's what this thing is about. This thing is about looking over your life over and over and over again and say, I may not be what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> that's what this is about. And in, 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 in that reality, he says, do a checkup. He says, make your calling and election sure. I'm going to close on this. It's going to be solemn. I'm closing. What I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. Once a quarter, I want you to list out these qualities. Go back and listen to this if you didn't take notes. Write out the definitions. Write out the definitions. And I want you to look at your life and say in different areas, what are my issues, God? Now, instead of doing a read through the Bible year plan, I think that's good. What I want you to do instead in this season, this is what I want you to do. I want you to list one thing. Don't list everything because you get depressed. Just one thing you're dealing with. <laughs> one thing. Don't list, you can't list everything. You'd be like, oh, Lord, I ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm saying? But let's list one thing that you're dealing with. Get a concordance. If it's, if it's pride, go find verses on humility. If it's fidgetiness, because you don't like where God has you, go look up verses on contentment. If it's sexual immorality, look up purity. If it's greed, look up verses on contentment and budgeting. And go to Financial Peace University. Um, in other words, let the Bible scratch you where you itch. See, most of us, we do a lot of reading of things, but we never really zoom into our souls to really look at how can the Bible speak to this issue in me? That's what I want you to begin doing and ask God, memorize those verses, many as you can, and have them in your arsenal. And begin to, over and over again, peek at how you're doing. Because that, that, when you pick out how you're doing and then you, you implant those words, that's why the Bible says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to his word? I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Yeah. Receive the engrafted word of God which is able to save your souls. 
The word of God is alive and active. It's alive. It's quickening. It cuts down to the joints and marrows and divides between the soul and the spirit. Your word will not return back to me void. Jesus says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. The word of God is valuable. You have made me wiser than my teachers because of your words. So many verses. He implants the word. It's like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. All of those things. Plant, your, plant yourself in the word. Don't be afraid to face you. Because you face it not with you, you face it with the Lord. So my prayer for you, I'm done. My prayer for you, prayer for us, is that we would be serious about looking like Jesus. It does not happen haphazardly. It happens by grabbing a hold to the means that God utilizes as mechanisms to grow you spiritually. And remember that Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection empowers all of this for your life. Father, we thank you.